right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on RCST, and on today's show, we are going to have plenty of audio for you. Lance Leipold spoke with the media yesterday. We heard from the two coordinators today. We heard from KU football players. It was also KU basketball media day, so all sorts of audio to come at you, not just today, but in the coming shows here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. I've been doing these like uh, same-game parlays or just you know overall parlays of not picking t- Picking against the spread and picking teams to win in the NBA is really hard yeah. because you don't yeah. know. I mean, a star could rest one day. Or, like, the Utah Jazz started 3-0, and and they have one of the worst rosters in the NBA. It's just, it's tough in, in a long season to, to figure out what's going to happen. But one thing that I've found to be a little bit more repeatable is you can do these, like, parlays on a player to score 15 points, or a player to score 20 points, or a player to have 8 rebounds. Doing player prop parlays, I feel like those hit a little bit more often. I've been having some pretty good success with it. Last night, I was really close to hitting a big parlay. I had... Five of the six hit. The one I missed was Tyrese Halliburton not getting 20 points. He finished with 19. I didn't put him in until five minutes in the fourth quarter <laughs> after he missed like the entire fourth quarter, which is beyond me because the Pacers, he is your best player. Uh, but nonetheless, you can do that too. And they have a boost on DraftKings where you can do same-game parlays and you get boosts for, for every added leg that you put to it. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at draft at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. That's sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. So uh, we're going to do a uh, KU basketball talk kind of preview thing coming up on tomorrow's show. But I I did want to bring up some KU football off the top here. Uh, Obviously, one thing we didn't really totally discuss yesterday was Jalen Daniels went through warm-ups in full pads. And I don't know how much he was actually doing out there. I think some of it was him just I don't know, showing up in pads and, and being there. And, and I don't know if that was like a morale thing or a try to like catch Baylor off guard thing or if that was actually a sign of him progressing in the right way, which I would think it would be. Um, I guess how good do you feel that, because we have the Pete Thamel report from last week that they're targeting the Oklahoma State game, how good do you feel that he will return for the Oklahoma State game at this point? For the Oklahoma State game, I, I don't know. I mean, we've heard time and time again that it's a kind of a week-to-week thing, so I think it literally could just be 
you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, hey, how you feeling? You know, what's what's what are you thinking here if you're if you're Lance Lapolette talking to Jalen Daniels about the possibility of starting? Because I've gone back, you know, an eighty percent Jalen Daniels, if he's unable to run or be or be as dynamic with his running ability, yeah, I I personally would almost rather have Jason Bean out there because then you still have the full complements of the offense because the running and the quarterback run has been so important for KU. And obviously with the read option stuff, they've ran it less with Bean and it's been less successful. But at least you still have that ability versus if you're running out Jalen Daniels and you don't want him to take hits, then you might be a little bit more cautious or not be able to have that open playbook for KU. So I don't know. I think you and I both agreed when this injury first happened and at the game after the TCU game that, hey, you know, Oklahoma State might be the most realistic time for him to come back. He'll have a whole bye week and everything to kind of get fully ready to go. But I kind of am still of the opinion of, hey, until you know for sure that he is like 100% and ready to take some hits and be able to use his full ability of running and throwing, you've got Jason Bean, and Jason Bean has put you in a position where you've been in, had a chance to win against Baylor. He had, he had the ball late against TC with a chance to win. And against Oklahoma, he didn't play that poorly either. It had a couple of bad interceptions, but but Bean has, has given you no reason to really panic in terms of you got to rush Jalen Daniels back. So... I still think that you want to see Jalen fully healthy before you bring him back and, and allow Jason Bean to continue to, to do what he's done. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, becoming really tough for me because as much as we have seen Jason Bean make some really big plays for this team, it just it, it hasn't looked the same without Jalen. And, and maybe that's not yeah. all his fault, but I, I, I look at the final four games, Oklahoma State, who's you know clear top 20, top 15 team in the country. But their defense is not nearly as good this mm-hmm. year as it was last year. Sure. I mean, they were a top, what, top five defense yeah, last year I mean, in they the were, country? They were, you know, historically, yeah. there were articles coming out about them being one of the most uh, the best defenses in Big 12 history over yeah. that and whatever this, 20 This year, they are been. significantly worse. Yes, yes. That is true. And, um, you know, you look at the Texas Tech game and, and a game you're going to be on the road against a team who just beat down West Virginia and... Uh, Texas, I don't know what to think of them. They're clearly talented. Like, that'll be probably a top 25 team by the time you play them. I don't know. You never know with them. Um, Kansas State looks really good. Like, for a minute, it looked like they were going to be the the de facto, like, by far best team in the Big 12 because they were up 28-10 to 10 on TCU. Uh, it's just, it, it's a really tough Final Four game stretch to, to find the one game you would pick for Kansas to win. And having Jalen the advantage of that over Jason Bean for the final whatever four games just it, it 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 should increase your chance to win any of those games it would make me feel better but again what you were saying like if Jalen is only 80% or 70% or whatever the number is like what does that look like because i think during the first half of the Baylor game i had kind of said all along beforehand you know i would rather have Jason Bean than an 80% Jalen Daniels that first half of the Baylor game i kind of wavered on that and i was thinking you know Maybe 80% Jalen Daniels would be the answer here. And I'm I'm still kind of going back and forth of, of what to do there, but, like, it's just – it's impossible to figure out what it's going to look like if he is 80%. Like, is it 80% where he can still take hits on it and you're still going to be able to run triple option and have your full arsenal of the offense? Or is it going to be something where because he's 80% he can't take hits and – He's having to to not run the triple option, and it takes away that game of the defense. But then again, now with Jason Bean, you're not really able to run a ton of that, you know, exceptionally well anyway. So, is it just then come down to well, do you like Jalen's other parts of his game? But I I don't know the answer to that. But 
I, I think that's probably what the coaches and the coordinators and Lance Leipold are toiling with. It's the idea that, you know, are we better off basically – again, I don't want to be disrespectful that they can't win the game if Jason Bean is the quarterback because I think they can. But would you agree that the odds of beating Oklahoma State go down if Jason Bean's the quarterback instead of Jalen Daniels? Probably. <clears throat> but I will say another aspect of – the discussion around Jalen Daniels being less than 100%, not only is it with the possibility of running, but also, remember, this is an injury to his throwing shoulder. Mm-hmm. So if he if he's 80%, maybe that could also affect his ability to throw the ball down the field, which you talked about how KU's deep deep ball game has been really good with Jason Bean. Well, if it's, if it's his throwing shoulder and he's maybe not, doesn't have as much strength in it to get the ball down the field, that could also affect KU's deep passing game. Yeah, and I think that when I look at it, I'm almost like, okay, let's say hypothetically with Jalen Daniels, you're a 10-point underdog to Oklahoma State. But with Jason Mean, it's 14. Is is that slightly lowered chance of being able to beat Oklahoma State if it allows Jalen Daniels for the following three games, or if it's even him missing that game and Texas Tech, but it allows him to be 100% for the final two games, is that worth it to you? Because I think it is to me. I mean, it's it's really tough. I, I think we both agree that Texas Tech is the game that probably KU has the best chance to win. So I guess maybe, but again, like if you're KU, you don't want to be coming into this just thinking, all right, well, we're going to lose the other three games and we're going to beat Texas Tech. That's not the mentality you want to have. But like if you're KU and you're thinking, all right, well, maybe we start Jason beating it's Oklahoma State and we know that that doesn't give us the best chance to win, but in our back of our mind, we know that if we do that, Jalen Daniels will be ready to go for Texas Tech, which is a team that we think we have a better chance of beating. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how much coaches really consider that kind of stuff. I mean, you hear so often coaches are like, well, you know, we're just paying attention to this week or, you know, whatever, right? Like, I don't know if they're really thinking that far ahead. And, and, and again, like, you, I think with this type of injury for Jalen Daniels, the fact that it's his throwing shoulder, like, you may not know, right? Like, this might be a situation where it feels really good one week and the next week it doesn't. So from that standpoint, maybe you do just want to, if he's feeling good, get him out there and just let him play. How how much do you think this really does change things? Have we have we made too much of a conversation of this? Like, is it something where KU struggles the last two weeks? Like, maybe we should point more to the defense and say that uh, even if Jalen was in there, it's it's not going to change that much. I I mean, with the Oklahoma game. I don't know because Jason Bean made a couple of turnovers that maybe if you score on those drives and you're with Jalen, then maybe that's a different game or it's a much closer game. And the Baylor game, just an inexplicably bad start to the first half. Like, I don't, Jalen maybe doesn't change that much, but maybe later in the game you might come back. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we know the quarterback is the most important position on the field, but. I mean, there have there obviously have been lots of other problems outside of that that have affected the last couple of games for KU and and you know it kind of goes back to the discussion between Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels where Jason Bean we think it can be as good as Jalen at times but he has a much much lower floor right well maybe that's how the rest of the team is right like maybe uh, the defense can be pretty good at times but they have an extremely low floor or you know with no Daniel Highshaw the running back room takes a hit the wide receiver room you know so. You're right. I mean, the quarterback position is the most important on the field, but at the same token, like there's been lots of other issues for KU the past couple weeks. Yeah, and and I wonder if we haven't discussed enough about too with Daniel Highshaw, which you just you know talk about his injury. Um, yeah, I mean that injury might be as significant, if not right. more significant, than Jalen Daniels. Well, so so Devin Neal is 
a really good running back. And and I would say Devin Neal's biggest skills are his vision and his kind of one-cut running style and ability to kind of shift gears quickly and, and get to his full speed uh, at a pretty quick rate. A lot of that, though, depends on, like, if you have the best vision in the world but there's no hole to go into, it's, it's yeah. going to be a lot harder to find running room. Whereas with Daniel Hyshaw, he's a wrecking ball. He is a... Hey, there's not really much room here. There's not really many holes. Like, I'm just going to plow through and try to pick up three yards and, and dive forward. And with what we've seen with KU's standard running game, maybe struggling a bit more over these past couple weeks, um, I, I can't help but wonder how much Daniel Highshaw would have helped in that area. Well, and, and we know that, that we know that Savion is much more of like a speed kind of perimeter type guy. So he's not going to be a guy that's going to you know, run between the tackles hard. And then Kai Thomas has been through various struggles with injury and consistency and this, that, and the other. So, yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, we know that the running back room coming into the season was the deepest, and it maybe still is even without Highshaw, but what he brought to the room was something that was significant or something that was unique to the other three guys, right? Mm-hmm. And and I guess I I just – I wonder if I'm putting too much on the idea that, okay, when Jalen comes back, it is going to be this big upgrade over Jason Bean. And and I think when we saw the peak of Jalen, it, it certainly was. Like, you get even more accuracy. You get more consistency on the short passes. You get a better read option game. You get a better triple option game. You have better vision and, and broken tackle ability from your quarterback running the football. But also, if we're going to look at this realistically, I, I do wonder if that injury, when it came for him, if it covered up some of the deficiencies or some of the struggles he was having or about to go through, because think about it, like you have the Iowa State game, and then the first half against TCU, he was struggling. I think his QBR was like one or two in that first half before he got injured and then Jason Bean came in. So there is a chance that if he never gets hurt, like he just has been in a rut over these last couple weeks. There is a chance that that would be the case and that we just never got to see it because of injury. And that would be my worry here that what if he does come back and what if it doesn't change anything? What if he, he comes back and it's the same as with Jason Bean and now you are relying on the defense, now you are relying on the running game, which isn't there, and you don't have the triple option stuff to kind of rely on and, and lean back on. And you do have to rely on kind of the standard runs and the wide zone scheme that maybe hasn't worked as well for KU this season. That would be my worry whether he comes back or not. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's a, there's other issues outside of the quarterback position for KU right now. But, uh, again, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned or panic right now for KU. Like, you're looking at four games left. Three of them are going to be very tough. Oklahoma State, Texas, and K-State. And Texas Tech just blew out West Virginia. So now we're really not sure about that one either. But I still have a lot of confidence that the offense, when they're able to put it together for short periods of time, is one of the top in the Big 12. And if they can do that for – a half or three quarters, it might be enough for them to get a win against one of these other teams. So I still have a lot of confidence in them. But And, and listen, Andy Kolnicki has been a savant pretty much all season, right, uh, in terms of play calling. So I, I still have a lot of faith in, in what they're able to do offensively, whether it's Jason Bean or whether Jalen Daniels comes back. I think they'll they'll be able to, to move the ball against teams and still be able to put up points. But the question is, I think, when you like when you answer the defense, is it a question of, you know, is 31 points for Kansas enough to win? Right? Or do they need to score more? And that's the issue you might run into because we have seen Kansas, with Jason Bean at least, they've had drives that have stalled, turnovers, right? 
and that they may not be able to do that against some of these other teams they have left on the schedule because 31 or 34 points might not be enough. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's really, if you think about it, like the second half with Jason Bean, you put up, what, 28 against TCU, 21 against Oklahoma, and uh, 20 against Baylor. So, up, no, 28 against Oklahoma, too. It wasn't Didn't they have 14 and a half? I thought it was 21. Whatever it is, I mean, you're looking at big totals in the yeah. second half. Yeah. So if you can just replicate that into maybe not even the full game, like you said, exactly. a third quarter. Exactly. You add one extra quarter into that, and that might certainly and be enough. If your defense is able to be opportunistic enough to make a couple plays, there you go. That mm-hmm. could be enough. Yeah. It just... It feels different in the conversation we're having now, though, than it was three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, it was every game should be competitive from here on out. If you play your A game, you're going to win one of these. We're starting I still feel to, that way. You, you do? Yeah, I, I still I feel, feel like way. we're kind of falling back into the, oh, but if you hope, if, if they have three turnovers, like, you know, I, I don't know. That but the defense has forced turnovers, and that hasn't even really mattered <laughs> over the last three games, like we talked about yeah. yesterday. So. No, I, I, I don't think KU's going to be blown out in any of their remaining games. I think the offense is still going to be able to figure it out enough to put up enough points to make it respectable uh, in these next four games. Uh, again, I think it just comes down to could they take it to just a little bit higher level? Again, whether it's being putting it together for another quarter or Jalen Daniels, or can the defense still also maintain a little bit more? And also, like we talked about yesterday too, KU's had – a disastrous start in three of their eight games. Nearly half their games, they've just been in a deep hole right off the get-go, right? So if they can start a little bit better, that would put them in also great shape as well. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got plenty of audio to share for you today. Kevin Flaherty going to join us in the 4 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. 4 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, and it is that time for another edition of one of my college football playoff rankings. I'm excited for this week. We have a couple teams who are uh, no longer on the list this week. One of them would be South Alabama. They lost their second loss of the season. And uh, the other would be Iowa with an average offense. Staple. They're off the list. They lost to Ohio State 54 to, I think, 10. Yep. So if they had an average offense, they still lose the game. By 20-plus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that doesn't really help. <laughs> I, I It is sad because I wanted to share this stat, though. Uh, this season, Iowa has scored 42 points on offense. <laughs> the defense and special teams have combined for 56. And they're, they are, I think they're 3-3 three and three or 3-4, three and four, and they've held their opponent to under 10 points in, like, five of their games. <laughs> and they have three Unbelievable. wins. Unbelievable. But, yeah, I mean, they're still in consideration because they would still just have one loss with an average offense. So they're they're receiving votes. They're receiving votes, but they're not in the top eight. Okay, into the new rankings. First up, Los Angeles, down from number (laughs) one. They hang on to a ranked spot. UCLA lost to Oregon by two scores. USC had a bye week. LA is still 12-2, though. Body work, 12-2, still a really good season overall for the uh, the city of Los Angeles, so they drop in to number eight. Have you considered that the Dodgers didn't make the World Series, though? Does that hurt the, does that hurt the no, city of Los Angeles? No, because this is college football related. Okay, okay. You know, we're not That's tossing true. the baseball in there. That's true. Okay, uh, number seven, unranked, Liberty. Liberty, hey. Liberty, Liberty. Moving to seven and one. Did you see? They beat BYU 41-14. Yes. to 14. yes, they beat the snot out of them. Unbelievable. They crushed BYU. Uh, they already have 30 sacks this season. That's second in the country. And now they have solid wins over BYU and UAB. And the one loss this season for Liberty 
was by one point yep. on a two-point missed conversion against Wake Forest on the road. What is your favorite thing a baby says? A baby? Uh, <laughs> a baby? I don't know. Why? Dada. As in Day-Day. As in Day-Day Hunter, the team's <laughs> leading running back who has 821 rushing yards on 6.8 yards per carry. Why isn't he popping up on Heisman list? <laughs> okay, you know what's really exciting about Liberty mm. is they also have games against Arkansas and Virginia Tech left on their schedule. So if they're like 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one, and they've beaten the Arkansas the or Virginia Tech, yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? I mean, like, it's that right now. Tulane maybe is in discussion yeah. too. I mean, if they win one of those two games against Arkansas or Virginia Tech and they're 10-2, and two, they've got to have a case, right? Yeah, and Virginia Tech's not very good. So yeah, the they Arkansas definitely... one would... would sell more but the Virginia Tech one is very winnable yeah okay number six up from number eight that would be Mount Union got back to their winning <laughs> way 63 to 3 was the final against Wilmington and, and how could you not you know respect a win over Wilmington uh they are now seven and0 average score of 52 to four what's your favorite type of jar jar yes uh, the only jar I can think of is like a mason jar. That's right. Mason jars. Oh. And Mason McMillan, who has 53 tackles and 10.5 tackles for loss, leading the defense. Mount Union continues to are, pile up. Are they going to play anybody that's like decent? You don't respect Wilmington? <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just asking a question. I, don't... <laughs> I mean, I think they've played a very decent schedule okay. so far. Okay. You're just disrespecting Division <laughs> Three football. Number five, moving up from number seven, Oregon, if we don't count week one. They dominated UCLA. Honestly, the 45-30 to 30 score wasn't really even as close as the game was. It felt like a game that UCLA could have easily won by three scores. They're scoring 50 a game so, since week one. They're what? You mean Oregon. You said UCLA. Oh, yeah, Oregon, yeah, yeah. Oregon, yeah. Uh, they're 6-0 and since week one. They have been a powerhouse since week one. If we remove that Georgia game from our minds... This is one of the best teams in the country. And you you were a Bo Nix doubter. I was. Bo Nix is he's actually been amazing. Good. Yeah, he's actually really good. Yeah. And, and you know, he added to the doubt by that first game. But if we just look at since then, who knows? He might even be in the, the front runner for the Heisman if you just remove week one <laughs> at that point. Uh, okay, into the top four. These are the teams that would be in the playoff as of right now. Number four, whoever is winning the Big Ten East. They're up from number five. Uh, Michigan, I think, had a bye week last week. Ohio State got a win. They moved to 7-0. and So, whichever one you think is winning, the Big Ten, Ohio State or Michigan, either hey, way, they're 7-0. They're in a number Penn four. State's still somewhat in the conversation. They are, but right now they they're would not have part to, of the tie. They would have to beat Ohio State this upcoming weekend. But then at that point, then it would just be Michigan would be ranked. It would no longer just be whoever's winning the Big Ten East, <laughs> I think. Because Michigan's beaten Penn State, and they beat them pretty handedly. Okay. Both teams look really good, though. I don't know which one is going to win that matchup. I... Penn, State, thought, Penn was, State versus Ohio State? No, Ohio State and Michigan. Oh. I thought Ohio State for the longest time, but I don't know, man. The way that Michigan can just play physical football, I think they have a more explosive quarterback this year. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Michigan comes out on top of that one. In at number three, up from number four, whoever is winning the SEC East. <laughs> uh, Georgia, 7-0. Tennessee, 7-0 after their big win over uh, UT Martin covering the spread. Yeah, and unfortunately they did cover. <laughs> now... Listen, what okay, but I'm a little upset about that mm-hmm. because what actually happened is what I thought would happen is Tennessee Martin was able to score against them. I just didn't expect Tennessee to score 67 points or however many points they ended up scoring. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to take that into account. Tennessee has like one of the best offenses. Well, in the I country. figured it was going to be like 50 to 24, <laughs> even 60 to 24. They would have still covered that. Well, Tennessee and Georgia have both been really, really good this season. So whoever's winning the SEC East, you're in good shape. 
you're in at number three. I don't know when those two play. That's got to be coming up soon. I think it's uh, November 12th, actually. Okay. So a couple weeks from now, not this Saturday, two weeks after that. That sounds something yeah. right like that. Uh, in at number two, up from number three, that would be the TCU Horn Frogs. They're now 7-0. and And honestly, I thought for a second about changing the ranking to uh, TCU against opposing quarterbacks because they just injure everyone. <laughs> they played an injured Spencer Sanders, although I don't think they were the ones that injured him, uh, but he was like dealing with an injury. They injured Jalen Daniels. They injured... Um, Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel, and they injured both of the top two K-State quarterbacks. Now, Spencer Howard, or not Spencer Howard, Will Howard came back in later in the game, but like they just continue to injure quarterbacks. Quentin Johnson looks like a Heisman candidate. Max Duggan's a Heisman candidate. Honestly, at this point, like if they do invite five people, it wouldn't be totally shocking if you had two TCU players there, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, Quentin Johnson might be the best receiver in the country at yeah. this point. He's incredible. Yeah. And, and right now, the, the path has kind of opened up a little bit more for TCU. Obviously, in the Big 12, every game is losable, and I still do think TCU is probably going to lose even two times. The rest of the way, I wouldn't be surprised. But, so they still have Texas. Yeah. They still have, they still have Baylor, right, also? They do. But they've cleared the path of two of those top three with Oklahoma State and K-State already. Yeah, that's um, true. But, yeah, I, I do think that they'll probably they'll definitely lose once. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose two more times. I mean, that's the way the Big 12. And I don't think they're, like, that much better than all these other teams, but they found a way to win close games, and that's kind of the, the running of the Big 12 year to year. Okay, our new number one was a team that was unranked. Really? Jumping all the way up to number one. Wake Forest in regulation. <laughs> Wake Forest gets a big boost because obviously, as I mentioned, they had the big win over Liberty. And now Liberty okay. is ranked, right? Yeah. And so that win just added to the resume. We reconstruct the rankings every week. It's not just a you know, slide up, slide down. So now that that win's there, the resume looks a lot better. Also, Wake Forest win last week, and, and they just continue to win. If you just look at Wake Forest and regulation, they're 6-0-1. They have a tie with Clemson. Okay. So now they have a tie with Clemson, who's being seen by the AP and the coaches as one of the best teams in the country, receiving votes for us here. That's an impressive tie. And all of their wins, except for the Liberty one, have come by double digits. So they're beating teams by a lot. They have an ex- uh, a nice win here against our number seven team with Liberty. And they don't have a loss. What's wrong with Wake Forest? Nothing. I think Wake Forest is great. They have Perfect a great story. Resume. They have a great quarterback. Mm-hmm. I yeah, love Sam it. Hartman is a stud. Yeah. And, yep. you know, Remember, now, he was out for the first part of the yeah. season. I mean, the rest of the schedule for them, going to pick up a little bit. I think they still have NC State. They still have, like, North Carolina. Although the ACC is kind of down. I see no reason why Wake Forest and regulation couldn't, uh, you know, move up. And you may be asking, why TCU, who's 7-0, and why are they below a team with six wins? Well, if you, you looked at TCU in regulation, they'd be 6-0-1 as well because they had the, yep. the overtime win over Oklahoma State. Yep. So both teams 6-0-1. I like Wake Forest resume a little bit better. The committee likes Wake Forest resume a little bit better as well. Any qualms with this week's rankings? No, I like Wake Forest. I'm glad to see the city of Los Angeles mm. get toppled. Um, <laughs> I was not a fan not of them. not done yet. Not a fan of them being number one, so I'm glad that they're they're no longer in the, in the, in the uh, playoff consideration. My question is, how would we – do the playoff like how would we simulate the playoff mm. at the end of the season how do you mean i don't see any issues here <laughs> like tcu would play whoever wins the sec east okay whoever wins the big 10 east would play wake forest in regulation it's just the game can't go to overtime okay. if it's a tie it's a tie it's just like the old school days you know? well, how does that work for the se- if it's a semifinal game who goes to the chamber higher seed 
Higher seed advances. That's the advantage, <laughs> being the higher seed. What? <laughs> that is my college football playoff rankings for the week. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show in about 25 minutes from right now. We'll be back after this timeout for a Big 12 whip round on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. As uh, no guests on today's show, actually, we, we mentioned that Kevin Flaherty was going to join the show, but Kevin uh, actually started feeling under the weather. So unable to uh, make it today, but we will share some Bill Self audio for you coming up in about 20 minutes. We've also got some player audio from KU Men's Basketball Media Day earlier today looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering venue 1235 has you covered located right off i-70 and five minutes from downtown lawrence venue 1235 is a large climate controlled event space with a catering kitchen private suite and a covered patio so we're going to do a uh, big 12 breakdown here and tcu has further established themselves as the best team in the conference they just after beating KU they took down Oklahoma State and then they beat Kansas State both games that they were down um K-State game they were down 18 at one point Oklahoma State game they come back to they win in overtime in that one against K-State they win by 10 in the end And, and something we mentioned there with the college football playoff rankings like honestly their best skill right now might just be that they're injuring all these good quarterbacks yeah, they just seem to be playing teams at the right time where they have injuries or the injuries occur in the games against CCU, and they have taken advantage of that for uh, all of their wins. But, I mean, on that same notion, though, I never want to take away what a team has done just because of injuries, right? Like, that's injuries of the nature of the sport. Like, TCU is obviously a very talented team. They have a lot of explosive guys, especially on offense. And Max Duggan's playing the best football of his career. So they're, they are definitely worthy of being where they are at right now. Uh, but... Yeah, it is unfortunate that some teams have suffered injuries against them that have probably benefited them. I think maybe you could look at the Oklahoma game being the biggest example of that, like if Dylan Gabriel. But also, TCU was up pretty significantly early in that game, even when Gabriel was playing. So, But that might be the one where you look at the most. But still, yeah, there's no question that TCU is, is deserving of where they're, at right now, where they're at right now. And they are, on at this point, looking like uh, they've – put themselves in a pretty good position to make the Big 12 title game. Yeah, and, and I think this also speaks to what the Big 12 is, where you could easily see TCU being 5-2 and two right now, or, or maybe yeah. even 4-3, and three. Um, whereas Baylor's sitting there at 4-3, and three, and when I, I saw Kansas play both teams, you know, in... I, I don't know that there's that much of a difference. Like, there's certain things that, like, I think Baylor's better at the line of scrimmage than TCU is. TCU probably has better, like, skill players on the outside and maybe uh, some more speed altogether, although Baylor has a lot of speed on the outside, too. I guess the point is, like, I don't think there's that much of a difference. And, and this goes in line with everything we've talked about this year with the Big 12. The difference between the best team and, and even the seventh or eighth best team is not that wide. And yeah. to that notion, I don't envision TCU getting through this with even just one loss or undefeated. No, no. Well, I mean, you look, you've got you've got five or six pretty good teams, but are any of them great or elite? Nah, not really, right? They're all really good, right? I mean, you got five or six really good teams, but but yeah, it, it does seem unlikely that TCU is going to make make it through unscathed. They have already knocked off some of the the top quote unquote other 
programs in the Big 12. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Kansas State. But they still have to play Baylor. They still have to play Texas. And they still have to play Texas Tech, too, which is kind of a an interesting game, right? So they still have some games where they could easily get tripped up and, and lose one here or there. But at this point, they're in pretty good shape to maybe still make the Big 12 title game, at least. Yeah, yeah, they should at that point. I do think that if you were to tear out the Power 5 conferences and which conference has the best chance of getting a team in the playoff and which has the worst, SEC is number one because it's always number one. Whoever wins the SEC is just <laughs> going to make it. Number two is the Big Ten because you have Ohio State and Michigan up there. And, yeah. and who knows, maybe even Penn State, if they upset Ohio State, like would have a shot at it. Um, number three would I don't know. Honestly, you might even say the ACC is ahead of the Big yes, Ten because I would put the ACC above the Big yeah, Ten. because the Big Ten could beat up on each other. Uh, whereas Clemson, or path, no, I would put the, the Big Ten above the ACC actually. Well, I I just I I think you can make the argument either way. I I think that the Big Ten has the better teams, but what happens if Penn State beats Ohio State? Ohio State beats Michigan. One of those teams will still get in. I I agree. I agree for what it's worth, but I I do think that you can make the argument that Clemson just has an easier path. You know what I mean? Like, no, they definitely they're probably do. not going to lose. They definitely do. So they're three, and then I honestly think the Pac-12 has a better chance. Like right now, TCU represents a better chance than anything the Pac-12 has because TCU is undefeated, the Pac-12 is not. So I don't mean from that standpoint, but I just, the way that I look at this with the Big 12, I think TCU is going to lose two games the rest of the way. I, th- I, I don't think there's going to be any team that comes out of the Big 12 this year with less than two losses. Then they have no shot. Exactly. Well, then you might as well put them last. That's what I'm saying. I would put the Pac-12 <laughs> ahead of them. I think that the Pac-12 would have a better chance because I think that one of USC, UCLA, Oregon could find their way to a one-loss season, and I don't really see that in the cards for anyone in the Big 12. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really see it either. I mean, there's so many good teams, and it just it, it's tough. I mean, even Lance Leipold talked about it in his in his press conference. There's a lot of good teams, a lot of really good teams in the Big 12, and and even KU is feeling that, right? They, I mean, they on this last three game stretch they've had against TCU, who has now proven themselves to be a top ten team in the country, and against Baylor and Oklahoma, two teams that were top ten teams in the country earlier in the season, right? So I mean, you're talking about a gauntlet, which we we kind of knew all along. I think all along we had circled this three slash four game stretch, including Oklahoma State coming up as like kind of the gauntlet of KU season, right? So we we knew those three games were going to be these three four games were going to be really tough, and they certainly have been for KU so far. Yeah, and, and I think like that's to a big difference between the Pac-12 and, and Big 12. Like in the yeah, Pac-12, in the Pac-12 12, you'll get you'll get a game against Cal, correct, you'll or get a Stanford, or Stanford. whoever it is. <laughs> Whereas, and that's what sucks for Kansas. It's like, you know, if you were in the Big Ten, you might get to play, I don't know who's bad this year. I guess the Big Ten is kind of have just like a bunch of average teams. Maybe I could play Northwestern. Yeah, or you Northwestern. might get to play like Nebraska or, yeah. or whoever this year. I mean, you look at Iowa State being maybe the worst team in the Big yeah. 12. Iowa State is the third best defense in the country. Mm-hmm. They're the worst team in the Big 12. It's just hard. It's hard. So TCU is in good shape right now, and and like you said, I think they'll be playing for the Big Twelve title. I just I, I do think that they're going to lose uh, multiple games kind of along the way. Whether it's one in the regular season, one in the Big Twelve title, or two in the regular season, whatever it is, I think uh, all these teams are just too close together that some team will go undefeated. Who would you give the edge to right now to to play TCU in the Big Twelve title? Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Texas. Do you still think Baylor has that shot? I mean, they look they look really good against KU. I would probably go with maybe Oklahoma State as the next best team. Uh, so Kansas State's three and one, Oklahoma State's three and one. So both of those teams are neck and neck. But 
I think the real Oklahoma answer State, is whoever wins that game this weekend. But. Yeah, Oklahoma State or can't. That's true. Yeah, those two play this weekend. Whichever one, of, whichever one of those teams wins this weekend is going to be obviously prime to to meet them. And then Baylor and Texas are not out of it, right? But they would have to go on a pretty heavy run yeah. to end the season. So probably maybe Oklahoma State. I would say. See, it's unless Oklahoma State loses to K State and loses to Kansas. I I think it's Oklahoma State, but like. There is a real they, they case. They could lose to K State and then lose they to could. Kansas. And and there is a real case to be made that like whoever gets second in the conference, like TCU could go eleven and one or ten and two. Second place could realistically be like eight and four. I mean, seriously, yeah. like I'm looking at the schedules well, right that was now. Our so, whole, that was our whole conversation yeah, around when we were it was. when we were, you know, considering Kansas to be a team that could maybe make the Big Twelve title mm-hmm. was just get to eight and four, nine and three, and if you have the right losses and the right tiebreakers go your way, you might get in. Yeah. I do think it would be Oklahoma State, to be clear, but yeah, you're right. What if they lose in Manhattan this weekend? And then here would be their final four games. At Kansas versus Iowa State, at Oklahoma versus West Virginia. Of the, the competitors for the conference, that's about as easy as you can get. I mean, you but, figure the Oklahoma game will be tough. It's a rivalry yeah, game. And, and they always lose to Oklahoma. Yeah. And would it shock you if they lost, like you said, at Kansas or at no. home to Iowa State or home to West Virginia? No, if they no, lost I mean, one they, of they, those, right? They would beat, they'll, they'll beat Iowa State and West Virginia, I think. But they could lose think, to Kansas. I mean, they almost lost to Texas Tech at home. So, like, well, again, Texas Tech is a team that some weeks is maybe one of the top teams in the conference, and other weeks they're the worst team in the conference. Yeah, I I think that my answer there is Oklahoma State loses to K State this weekend, but wins the rest, and so they go ten and two, and they play for the Big Twelve title game. But again, wouldn't be surprising if they were nine and three and they lost one of those games. You look at Texas. No faith in the Hawks. Uh, Texas are sitting at, at four and three, and. They have at Kansas State versus TCU at Kansas versus Baylor. They're losing at least two of those. Texas? Yeah. Well, right? They have two conference losses. I know. That's so what I'm saying. Logic, they're going to lose out. at least two more, right? So by that logic, they're done. Right? Are they? Do you really think they're going 3-1 and one between at K-State versus TCU at Kansas and versus Baylor? No. They're going to lose two of those. But I guess counterpoint, if they do go 3-1, and one, they're going to have some good tiebreakers and take some teams down with them. Yeah. Yep. And then you have Baylor in this, which is... At Texas Tech this weekend, which that wouldn't surprise me if they lose. Then they're at Oklahoma. Again, wouldn't surprise me if they lose, but those are both games that I think they'll probably be favored in. Well, they have K-State at home. Uh, so what happens if K-State beats Oklahoma State this week, then K-State loses at Baylor, and now you have three teams all about. Baylor well, beats Texas TCU. Tech, I don't know. Texas Tech only has two conference losses right now. So if Texas Tech beats Baylor this weekend, then there would potentially you could then you could lay out the case for how Texas Tech could make a run. Yeah, they're sitting. At two, that's a good point. A two they and only, two. They only have two losses in conference. Right? They have the same conference record as Baylor. I would love someone to come up with. There was that that uh, with like the sickos, the sickos committee, committee that came out with, with the yes with how four the Big Ten could end up with Northwestern at four and eight winning the conference. I would love someone to come up with how we could get like five teams between Oklahoma State, K State, Texas, Baylor, and Texas Tech, and even if it's four of them, at least four. Tied for second place, all at like five and four in conference play, or six and three, or whatever it would be. Yep. And I think I feel like that is a possibility, just and, going through the schedules. When we when we had this discussion, you know, a month ago or three weeks ago, part of that discussion was, well, what if Kansas had been able to win against TCU or Baylor or Oklahoma, and then they would be at three and or they would be at you know two and two yeah. or maybe three and one in the conference. No, if, if they beat they'd TCU, be in the same conversation. They'd if, be in the exact same conversation. If Kansas would have beat TCU. We'd be sitting with three three and one teams, two three and two teams. One of them would be Kansas, and two two and two teams. Yeah, remarkable. And and again, then at that point, it just becomes if you can finish with three losses in conference, 
and have the right tiebreakers, mm-hmm. you might be going to Dallas. That might be the play, though, with Oklahoma State the last four games being a little easier for them. If they lose at K-State this weekend, the odds of them winning the Big 12 are going to drop to around, I don't know, 3-1, to 4-1, to one, something like that. Maybe bet them then. That might be a good way to go about it. I don't know. Or if they, but if they beat K State, like if they beat K State this weekend, it's going to look pretty clearly like it's going to be TCU Oklahoma State. I think. Probably, yeah. By the way, that's one of them slips up multiple times. Is Quinton Johnson the best player in the conference? Yeah, TCU the receiver. Yes, think, he has been so. unbelievable. Who's better? I mean, you could just, I think, make generally an argument for a quarterback because of, of which, how much the quarterback which, has value. Which one? I don't know, like Max Duggan, maybe, the guy throwing him the ball. You could say Jalen Daniels. He hasn't played in three games. Yeah. I I do think, it, it. yeah, it would have to probably be him. I mean, this dude just makes big play after big play for them. I don't think Max Duggan is nearly in the shape he is without him. No. it's And it's not... It's not a running back. It's not like it's Bijan or anything. No, because you just throw him up the ball and he goes and get it. Um, I would love for Patrick Mahomes to have a Quentin Johnson. I'll say that. Chiefs? Yeah. First round draft pick, Quentin Johnson. Kansas Brett Chiefs. Beach, if you're listening. I feel Make like, the pick. I feel like he does. there's no way he doesn't know who it is. But, like, this is what's weird. I'm looking at Quentin Johnson's stats against Colorado, who's horrible. Three for 22. Tarleton State, who's an FCS team, 2-for-22. At SMU, 3-for-29. So he has done all this in, like, conference play where he has gone— Wait, so he had three catches for 29 yards? And against catches. SMU. Between the first three games combined, he had eight catches for 73 yards. And since then, in the four conference games, he has 30 catches for about yeah. 500 yards. How many touchdowns? Three. So in like conference-only yeah. games, you, you could make that real argument that he has been the best player on the field overall. So I don't know if those first three games they were just hiding him or he was dealing with an injury or they were just getting other guys involved or what the deal was. But yeah, he's good. the run that he has been on, like he looks like Larry Fitzgerald out there, like what he did in that one playoff run like a decade ago. Yeah. He is an absolute beast. Okay, let's let's tier the Big 12 here. So who's in tier one for you? Uh, TCU, Oklahoma State, and Baylor? Question mark. <sighs> See, okay, Thoughts. this is the the Baylor one is interesting because I do think they they have what it takes talent wise to go on a run here and finish like eight and four. But do they deserve to be? In, and that's that's what makes the tiering part tough. Is it based on what you think, or is it based on what you know happened? I'm okay with putting Baylor in tier two. All right, you want to hear tier two? Well, wait. I, I also have another question in tier one. Okay. Should TCU be on tier one by themselves? No. They're the only undefeated team. They needed, they and needed, they beat Oklahoma they State. They needed overtime to beat Oklahoma State. They needed overtime. What about Kansas State? Oklahoma State has looked good besides that. What about Kansas State? Kansas State is tier two. Why not tier one? Because I'm biased. <laughs> I'll well, just, I mean, I'll just say it. They were up 18 on TCU on the road. Yeah, they're choked. They got down to a third-string quarterback. So they choked, and they lost. With a third-string quarterback. Most of the game is second string, <laughs> but part of the game a third they're string. They're tier two. I think you could make the argument Kansas State is tier one. I don't want to hear it. 
Okay, we'll leave him in tier two. <laughs> so I, I think we leave Baylor in tier two for now. Is that, am I being too mean to K State? No, I, mean, I, I don't mean, like him obviously, but I don't want to just you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to let my bias show, but should I should I reel it in a little? Well, bit? Well, I do should think I go to, ahead and give them a pity tier one ranking. Well, okay, so this is one of those things I mentioned this with like uh, when there were calls that went against KU that. You know, every fan base is like, hey, we got screwed with the calls. And then every other fan base is like, well, guess what? We got screwed with the calls, blah, blah, blah. And (laughs) we don't care that you got screwed by the calls. Deal with it. And then the next week, that same fan base who was saying to the other fan base, we don't care that you got screwed by the calls. They're saying, no, no, we got screwed by the calls. Feel bad for us. And it's just an endless cycle of like, we're never going to feel bad for each other, but we're always going to complain about it. That's kind of the same thing that happens with backup quarterbacks, where when a team plays a backup, the other team especially if, if you lost to them. The other team that, that beat you is like, well, sorry, we had to play with a backup last year when we beat you. <laughs> or, you know, uh, for for K-State, it's like, hey, we don't care that you had to play with Jalen Daniels for these past couple weeks. But now it's like, well, we had to play with a backup quarterback. Feel bad for us. <laughs> so it's just this constant cycle where nobody wants to show empathy for each other. And I get it. That's like sports fan bases and, and stuff like that. So you understand. But I will say, uh, as much as I have kind of used that as a crutch for K-State, them being on their third-string quarterback, the third string was only in there for, what, a drive or two? And he threw one interception. Yes, in first and class. the backup, Will Howard, was— Turned into, turned into Lamar Jackson. Yes, Randy. I was going to say, he was amazing. For, for no reason, he just so became like, Lamar Jackson. Was there really a drop-off between Adrian Martinez and Will Howard? No, there was, a, there was an increase. Yeah, I mean, as a passer, there certainly was, right? I mean— Adrian Martinez is not known for for his throwing uh, as much as, as his running necessarily. So maybe I'm overemphasizing that. So yeah, we'll put K-State in okay, tier, tier two. two. All right, tier two. Baylor, Baylor yeah. well, half of Baylor. Baylor halfway. <laughs> K-State, Texas. The Texas one is weird. I mean, they, so? they very easily could. No, no, like I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think oh, they okay, should be in okay, tier two. Okay. It's just weird because like. Well, it turns out Quinn Ewers kind of sucks. Yes. Like he just. It feels like every play he's trying to, like, throw for, like, a 20-yard completion. Yeah. And they very easily could have beat Oklahoma State. They very easily could have beat Alabama. By the way, they very you, easily could have beat Texas Tech. Did we talk about this yesterday, the, the penalty discrepancy in the in the Texas game? Like no, we State. did not. It was, what, 14-0? 15, 15, 15 penalties against Texas. Zero. Zero. Zero against Oklahoma State. None. Zero. How does that even happen? Like, what are the odds of that even happening? That's very low. I feel like this is. What the, do you mean it's low? It's nothing. Well, it's lower than low. So it's zero. The thing that I'm on with this is, I so I did not watch the full game, so I, I don't want to just be like the refs were screwing them over. It's very possible <laughs> that there was an unfair whistle, but I I do wonder. Do you remember the game that was in Allen Fieldhouse, KU West Virginia in basketball? And it was like the pen, the fouls like were like three forty games, three years like ago, forty. 10. Yeah, it was like it, it was some other day. Like KU had like forty free throws. West Virginia had like two or something. Yeah, like I that. remember that. Yep. And so it was one of those. And Bob Huggins complained about it, and he was mad. And I think he he got technicals in the game or something like that. I think they but then, fined him for his comments. The they probably did. Too. And so you understand it, and when you see those numbers, you're like, well, but the, the job of the official is not to. Hey, we got to keep it as even as possible with the calls. It's to call what the calls are. And so if you watch that game, every shot West Virginia took was a mid-range or three-point shot. So, like, how are you going to get fouls if you're not driving? And then West Virginia had multiple technicals, and they were fouling late in the game to allow Kansas to to try to stay in the game that ballooned up the free throw. So, like, I wonder if it was something like that, where it was just, like, maybe Texas was just just fouling that much. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know the answer to that. But, like, Texas very easily could be seven and zero right now, 
And if they would be seven and zero with that win over Alabama, they would be number I don't know number two, two. in the country, something yeah, like that. Probably, yeah. So I think they deserve to be on tier two. They're not far from being tier one, but they're also not far from being tier three. So I guess tier one, tier two is the perfect spot for them. All right, tier three: Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas Tech. Ugh, this one's tough. Um, I almost feel like Kansas is a tier below Oklahoma after watching that game. But also, Oklahoma has performed worse against teams Kansas has performed better than. So if it is the overall body of work, I think that's probably fair. I, I almost want to put, like, Texas Tech on their own in Tier 3. Above OU and Kansas? I guess. I, I don't know. They We haven't seen them play either one. And they've just been so feisty against the good teams in the conference. Like, they beat Texas. I think Tier 3 they is— They almost beat Oklahoma State. I think Tier 3 is a fine location for Texas Tech at the moment. I think it is, too. But I'm wondering if OU and Kansas should be Tier 4 below them. But that's fine. That's we can have them in Tier 3. Okay. Tier 4, West Virginia, Iowa State. So I actually think Kansas should be in this tier with West Virginia and Iowa State. They beat both of them. I know, but barely. Okay. Like the idea of the tiering is that you're on the same kind of path, I guess. They very easily could have lost to West Virginia. They very easily could have lost to Iowa State. I think they're on the same tier as those teams. Does that make sense? Like, maybe they're the best of Tier 4. No, I, I understand. It'd be like Tier 4A. I just, the way I look B, at it, like in, in Tier 3, if you look at Texas Tech, is Tier 3. Texas Tech's probably going to be like a 10-point favorite over Kansas when they play in Lubbock. Well, Kansas only lost to Oklahoma by 10. It was a close game. Yeah. But but they lost by 10. However, it, was probably worse it wasn't that. really a game where you ever thought Kansas was going to win. Yeah. Like, it was a, like it was a, it was a quote-unquote close game. Like, I guess, put it this way. If Kansas replays the Oklahoma game, out of ten times, Oklahoma wins seven eight, or eight? Seven? Yeah. yeah. Seven or eight, probably. If you replay the West Virginia and Iowa State games, it's probably, like, five to five. Maybe you'd say six, four to Kansas. But, like, I think they're on that tier with those teams. But, again, the difference between tier four and tier one is really not that much. It's really not in no. the Big 12. No. All right, that is our Big 12 breakdown with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some Bill Self audio to share with you coming up on the other side. This is RCST. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Nick Springer, I am Derek Johnson here. We are going to get you to some KJ Adams audio coming up here, and we've got the rest of the uh, Bill Self audio from KU Men's Basketball Media Day earlier today. We'll share all that for you coming up later this hour. By the way, before we get into our KU defensive notebook here, Frank Clark has been suspended for two games. So the the, the defense <coughs> will never be fully <laughs> intact for the Chiefs. So this, this is actually the exact same thing that happened to Willie Gay when he got suspended where this actually stems from an incident, I don't even know when this happened, over in the offseason at some time, where Frank Clark was charged uh, with something related to possession of a firearm in California uh, a while back, and the NFL has just now decided to circle back and issue a determination, basically, of the personal conduct policy, and they determined suspension for two games. So now this is two consecutive Chiefs, obviously with Willie Gay, where you've had an, something happen outside, off the field outside in the offseason, and the NFL has decided, as far as I can tell from the outside, completely arbitrarily, completely randomly, that they're just going to issue these suspensions basically 
whenever they want. And they decided for Willie Gay it was going to be, you know, at the start of the season, and now here for Frank Clark, it's just now. So I don't know. I this was a real this this is a real head scratcher, I think, from the fan perspective, because it's like, you know, what what takes you so long to determine that this is what you need to do in terms of violation of the personal conduct policy? Like if 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 there's going to be a suspension for violation of the personal conduct policy, why wouldn't you have it be at the beginning of the season? Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, whatever, right? It's like so, they put all their resources into the Deshaun Watson case because they're like, this is more high profile. We need to get this done. We need to get this done now. Because imagine if yeah, they, I don't, Maybe, maybe. Well, like, uh, to your point, like, imagine if, if all this stuff that was happening with Willie Gay and Frank Clark where it was just in the middle of the season happened with Deshaun Watson. Like, it'd be so much more well, higher profile. Well, and on top, well, it would have been even worse for the NFL in that case because, I mean, Frank Clark's been playing, right? He's, he's played the mm-hmm. first five games. Willie Gay played the first two games. So... You know, imagine if they had allowed that to happen with Deshaun Watson, where he was just let allowed to play before they made their ruling. So I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe the Deshaun Watson stuff is is the reason why it took them so long. But uh, uh, it is of frustrating, I'm sure, for Chiefs fans, considering it's happened to two Chiefs players basically consecutively. Right? Like Willie Gay comes back for his first game against the 49ers, and now Frank Clark is done for the next two games. And by the way, Frank Clark is coming off of probably his best game of the season. Right against the Niners. Yeah, and on one hand, it's like, well, you hope it doesn't kill the momentum because now you're looking at a bye week and then two suspended weeks for him. So he's basically going to be off for three weeks at that point. Yeah. But I, I do wonder. Like, there's a part of me. I, I wonder if this is for the best for him because this is a guy who has battled injury. Like, obviously, yeah. the off the field stuff is not for the best, and you you don't want that ever to yeah, happen. Yeah, exactly. Like, like th- this these both in both cases, the Willie Gay and the Frank Clark yes. situation, they both seem like fair. Suspensions, yes, off the field things that have happened for true for actual violations. Yeah, right? so but like, like what's frustrating about it is that the it, the ruling has come down just randomly in the season. Yeah, but where I was going with that is that you know again like I'm not saying it's a good thing that what happened happened, but I'm saying as far as him being suspended two games for a guy that has battled all sorts of injuries and illnesses over his time with the Chiefs. Would having him rest a couple extra weeks to maybe be ready for the backstretch of the season be the worst thing in the world? Um, if you want to look at it that way, I do. <laughs> I want to spin it that way. You know, you, I think it could go. be a good thing. Positive. Go. Sitting on your couch for a couple weeks, not a bad thing at all. Yeah. Okay. Our KU defensive notebook here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is wild. So I went back and looked. Baylor, in the early going out of the game, KU couldn't stop them defensively. And obviously the offense didn't do a ton to help them out in terms of complementary football. But the KU defense was just getting kind of eviscerated. And and after the fourth Baylor touchdown, so the one that put them up 28-3, to if you went back to the second half of the TCU game, Kansas had allowed a span of 15 out of 23 drives to result in touchdowns and 16 of 23 drives to result in in some type of score. And the outside of, I took out the, there was one drive that TCU uh, just ran the clock out to finish the game, and there was one drive that Oklahoma ran the, the clock out to finish the game. So outside of those drives where they're not trying to do anything, 15 of 23 drives at the point of that fourth Baylor touchdown, KU had given up a touchdown. I mean, talk about an ultimate rut in the middle of the season. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that is rough, and the defense again. I feel like we've been on a bit of a roller coaster with the defense, Derek, because we started out the season thinking, okay, maybe they could be like the seventh or eighth best defense of the Big Twelve. 
then they have their performance against Iowa State, and we're like, wow, okay, maybe they might be like maybe a little better, right? <laughs> and then they just completely fall apart. And then, really, we have nobody to blame but ourselves for the run defense situation because we sat here and we claimed, we we officially declared on this show, run defense is fixed. What ha- what has happened since then? Just a complete yeah, train wreck. Did. Just a disaster. A disaster for the run defense, right? So we have no blame for ourselves for that one. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's just not good. And then you you know you lose Kobe Bryant also, who was kind of the your guy that was like a lightning rod for the defense that could make a play to kind of change the game. And yeah, it's just uh it's just not a good situation for for the defense to be in and what they've done over the past couple of weeks. But you know, they've still got the talent and they've still got some guys that can make plays and they made plays against Baylor. They forced three turnovers against Baylor. So there's there's definitely still positives to take away, but but uh but yeah, and you know, maybe this could be like the uh, I'm trying to think, this would have been like the maybe the the twenty eighteen Chiefs or the maybe it might have been the other one in the Super Bowl, twenty nineteen or I don't twenty nineteen, twenty. Twenty nineteen is when they there, won the Super Bowl, yeah. There was a year where the Chiefs defense for like the first twelve weeks of the year was like the twenty sixth best defense in the league. And then they just really got hot and played. I mean, that really, kind of really happened well. last year. It wasn't the first twelve weeks, but they were like the Chiefs last year were like on pace to be one of the worst defenses by certain metrics through the first, I forget what it was, like six weeks. And then they just turned it off. Yeah, for like seven weeks. Yeah. So maybe, you know, for, for KU, they've had now they've had their struggles over the past couple weeks. They've got a bye week. What if they turn it on for the last four weeks? What if they what if they're able to figure some things out on defense and slow down some of these teams they're playing coming up in the final stretch? Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point on the run defense, in the last two weeks, Kansas has given up two hundred seventy three and two hundred and ninety eight yards. They had not given up a game with more than 174 prior to that. And if you total up the last two weeks, Baylor and Oklahoma, Kansas allowed 571 rushing yards between the two weeks. In the other six games combined, they gave up 722. So in the other six weeks, they only gave up 150 more yards than they have the last two weeks combined. So you're right. I, I have no idea what happened to the run defense. I, I don't know. I don't. I would just. I mean, we know Eric Gray is a really, really talented running yeah. back for Oklahoma, but I mean, it wasn't even that. It was just they were just getting bullied off the line of scrimmage and whatever. And then Baylor just Baylor would just did the same thing basically with Richard Reese and just ran it right at them, and KU could not slow them slow them down. Do you think that there's like maybe because because I mentioned this last week, Oklahoma for all their faults was at least as of last week, I haven't checked again this week, was a top 20 unit on pro football focus in run blocking and pass blocking. Baylor was top 20 in both as well. They're just really good offensive lines? I think that's just the common theme. <laughs> when you have, because I think this would, this is what it is. KU's linebacking core last season was one of the worst in Power 5. They made it a lot better this year. Rich Miller got better. Taiwan Barry Hill got better. Craig Young. Um, yeah, Craig Young got better. McCaskill's playing a lot now. McCaskill, yeah. Eric Gilliard adds depth to it and whatnot. Like the, the linebackers are just better. But it's not, it's still not like, hey, you have like a top five linebacking unit in the Big 12, right? Probably not. And so if you, if you are basically your line and their line on, on your defense side to their offensive side is getting washed out you're all reliant on the linebackers to make the plays. And KU has good enough linebackers that when the D-line gets a little bit of disruption, they can make the plays. But when they're getting no disruption or they're being tasked with having to break free from a guard at the second level, 
they're not that level of of how good they are. So I, I wonder if if that plays into it. And I'll look back up the numbers. I'll, I'll pull this up maybe sometime later this week. But I was looking at that for um, the rest of the season and really the rest of the way from here on out for for KU. The good news is that there is no offensive line that's like that. Like. Kansas State run blocks really well, but they kind of struggle sometimes in pass blocking. Texas, uh, I forget which one does does well at, but like Texas Tech and Oklahoma State don't do great in run in both blocking, which they're not bad at it, but they're not great at. It. So maybe that's just one way that we look at it that they'll be better in those regards. I would certainly hope so, but it's also like it's not just the the running plays that's leading to easy conversions or third and shorts, but even when they have gotten the last couple weeks into third down and long. They're not, they're not performing at a high enough level to what you would expect. They're consistently giving up third down and eights, consistently giving up third down and fifteens. And on that, like I don't know what to blame either, because if you're consistently giving up third and longs, is it just bad scheme? Is it not having as as good of athletes as the other team? Is it bad coverage? Is it bad pass rush? Is it bad awareness? Is it a little bit of both? I I have no idea. But like that's something like the Baylor play early in the game where they had a third and whatever it was. You just got a sack. It was like third and 16, third and 14, and they threw a screen. And that's something that KU has been really bad against this year too, like screen passes all season long. You can't give up a conversion on third and 14. And that wasn't the only third and long the Baylor converted. KU for their defense to be good, it's never going to be a defense that's consistently making stops on three and outs and or, or maybe you have one first down and get a, get a punt consistently over the course of a game. They have to thrive, though, on the opportunities that are given. When you have a third down and long, those have to be stops for you, and you have to be opportunistic with it. The second half, they were opportunistic. They, they made key stops when they had to be. But the first half and the Oklahoma game, so really that six-quarter stretch and maybe eight-quarter stretch when you go back to the TCU game, that's probably what was missing. That's the big difference for this defense. It's just can they be opportunistic? Can they make stops on third and long? Can they force turnovers? Can they come up with big sacks? That's the difference. Well, and the reality situation is when you look at the second half against Baylor, K only forced a punt once, and it was off of a drop pass by Baylor, right? So even though the defense, and that, I think that's what you're kind of getting at here, is is we don't expect KU to be forcing a lot of punts. But think about it. You only force Baylor to punt once in the second half, but you only give up seven points. You were able to force them off the field in other ways, stopping them on fourth down, getting some turnovers, right? And one area that I really think KU has done a fantastic job in all season long, they've, they've really done it excellent defensively, is short yardage situations. They've been so good. They've stopped multiple teams multiple times on fourth down, third and short, fourth and one. I mean, they, had a, they stopped Duke on a fourth and one. They stopped uh, Oklahoma at the goal line twice before the end of the first half in that game. They stopped TCU on a fourth and one, too, I want to say. They stopped Baylor on a fourth down in this game. Like, They've been very, very good in third and short, fourth and short yard situations, and that's. I just want to give some praise on that because that's one area where they have been really strong. So throughout this season, yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to mention: Kobe Bryant obviously being out, and the fact that for KU to be at their best, they need to be opportunistic. Like that's the biggest thing you miss with Kobe Bryant. He's going to give up some plays. He's going to give up some yards. But because you are reliant on being opportunistic, he fits that billing and is able to make some opportunistic big interceptions and uh, big plays and whatnot. The big difference that I've noticed between Kalen Gervin and Kobe Bryant as he's filling in, and I don't know what the status will be for Kobe Bryant moving forward, dealing with a, an ankle injury, is Kalen Gervin, I think, is more sound yeah. than Kobe Bryant. Like, you're going to get less big plays against him. And, I mean, Baylor... 
for for some of the faults of the defense, you did a good job preventing their their long ball passes, which had been a strength for them coming into the game. And Kalen Gervin, I think, is just fundamentally sound. But you're not going to get maybe as many of the the highlight plays, the you know recovering and, and getting a pass deflection or getting a big interception. Yeah, last week I asked Kalen Gervin what he thought his biggest strength was, and he said he thought it was his consistency. And I think that was on display against Baylor. He's he's a consistent guy who is not going to get beat who is going to do his job and is going to take care of his business of what he needs to do on the field, right? And you need guys like that too. You know, just like we've talked about how what Kobe Bryant brought to the defense is something you might need on defense. Well, you also need guys that are going to play sound, play very sound like that. So he just brings a different different aspect of the, of that to the KU defense. But but uh, it's definitely something that KU needs. And, and certainly on the back end, you know, having a guy like that could be even better for them in these situations because you have a guy that – you know, maybe the defense is struggling, or they've given up a couple big play, given up a couple plays on a drive, and the offense, the opposing offense is driving. And maybe from a secondary standpoint, you have guys pressing and feeling like, okay, now I need to make, I need got to make a make a play here to make up for the fact that we've given up so many yards. And if you have a guy like Gervin who's out there who's just gonna play, stay in his lane, do what he needs to do, do his job, and take care of business, that might settle down the back half of your defense. Yeah, and, and I think. As much as KU has struggled in in pass defense at points this season, there is a lot of talent in that secondary. Yeah. So, uh, we'll yeah, I mean, see. obviously we've heard about OJ Burrows and mm-hmm. what he can do. And Burrows had a really good game against Baylor. Yeah, yeah, and we know what his skills are in pass coverage. And obviously, um, Kenny Logan mm-hmm. is was a preseason All Big Twelve guy, so we know what he brings to the table. Melo Dotson got a pick against Baylor as well. Gervin certainly has a lot of talent. So, yeah, there's no question that the KU secondary has guys that, that can make plays. Uh, it's just a matter of being able to do it consistently. All right, let's finish by, because a lot of this was maybe more on a negative tone, um, and, and I didn't mean for all of it to be, because there's a lot of things they do well, but uh, obviously the first half was was a struggle. Let's, let's finish by saying something nice about something we thought the defense did or, or maybe an individual did well. There are two guys that I will point out here. One is Jeremy Robinson who had a great game, right? Lonnie Phelps obviously gets a lot of the individual attention on the Kansas defensive line, but they rotate so many guys. They have a lot of other guys that can make a lot of plays. And Jeremy Robinson shined through. He had a strip sack against Baylor. He came through with some big plays. And also Marvin Grant led the team in tackling. And Marvin Grant, we've talked about him as as sort of your prototypical box safety, basically like a fourth linebacker out there at times where he kind of hangs around close to the line of scrimmage. He's excellent in run, excellent in run defense. He's not afraid to come up and and take a hit or dish out a hit. Also, in run defense, and I, I do think that a guy like him is probably the key to fully unlocking maybe the Kansas run defense and or f- helping it fully reach its potential. When you've got a guy like him who is willing to play six seven yards away from the line of scrimmage, so not as deep as a regular safety, and fly around and make a big hit in the run game, he could be. He's a guy that. I think has the potential to, to help with the run defense significantly. And he led the team in tackles against Baylor. Yeah. So he had what, 14? Yeah. Like that? yeah. I think he had uh, eight solo tackles. Yeah. And that's, that's something we, we've talked about before that you kind of also don't want your safeties having that many tackles. No, I know. That's not a good sign. But that's good for him because, you know, that, that means that you're making those tackles. It means you're making those plays. And, and what yeah. you said, he is a good run defender. So with him, it is a little different than Kenny Logan, I think. When Kenny Logan racks up a bunch of tackles, I think it is more of like, Oh no, that's not good. You got to the secondary. Marvin Grant does play in the box a good amount, and you know comes up and and really wants to hit you. So, uh, yeah, really impressive from from him. And as they try to figure out the run defense, I think Marvin Grant is going to be a a bigger and bigger role 
uh, as the season goes on here. I mentioned O.J. Burroughs played really well in that game. Um, how about Jeremy Robinson? Just, yeah. you know, the, the the strip sack was was maybe the biggest play of the game for KU that really got them into it. Catches Blake Shapin on the uh, kind of bootleg play, throws him to the ground, gets the ball to come out, picks it up, almost goes in for the touchdown, uh, ends up inside the 10-yard line. I, I think that was the biggest play for KU in the game because it, it, it really helped with momentum, but it also, it's not just the KU, it allowed them to score on that drive and, and have a short field. It's also that it prevented Baylor from scoring. They were, yeah. I don't know, around the KU 35, something like that, before yeah. that happened, 33-yard line. Um, so he was really good. And and again, for the Kansas defense at this point, any way that the opposing team doesn't score, that's a win. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter how you do it. It doesn't matter if they're punting. It doesn't matter if you get stop them on fourth down or whatever. That's a win. Yeah. And I think that when I look at this D-line, like the defensive tackles got washed out a good amount on those running plays, which led to you kind of struggling there, which was unfortunate. And they kind of had a, a, a tough game from those interior guys. You still feel good about the depth and everything, but specifically for the defensive end spot, that might be KU's best position on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, it certainly helps when you have Lonnie Phelps, who's, I would say, the best defender on the team. But it's also like Malcolm Lee has had a good season. Yep. Jeremy Robinson had a good you know, good game, and he's having a good season, kind of a breakout year for him. I think that's the best position on the team, defensive end. Would you agree? On the team? Yeah, or, or on the defense, I'm sorry. On the defense, yeah. Uh, when you include Lonnie Phelps in that discussion as well, it could be. It could be. I mean, I think the strength of the D line, as compared to the other position groups in the on the defense, is their depth. Right, the fact they can rotate guys, and obviously we saw what happened to them when that was kind of taken away by the tempo of Oklahoma. Right, is the D line was basically ineffective because of that. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, definitely the deepest depth. Yep. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got some KJ Adams audio. That'll be followed by some Bill Self audio. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.